On today's show, we talk about the twisted lives and deeds of Leonard Lake and Charles Ng, and also Juan Corona. This is bad in the boondocks. Bad in the boondocks Bad in the boondocks People put it down But what you're supposed to do In a small town Bad in the boondocks Bad in the boondocks Lord have mercy Can't help being Bad in the boondocks Hey there out there. Welcome to Bad in the Boondocks. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Stan. And I'm Drew. And we're so glad you're here. Yeah, you really sound like it. <laughs> I'm trying to be more suave. Okay. Not like the conditioner or shampoo. Suave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Today right. we have a doozy. We have a wonderful Charles Ng, which I find amazing that his last name is spelt N-G. Mm-hmm. And Leonard Lake. And then Drew's going to do us a little wine. Corona. Take a nice sip of that, why don't you? Mm-hmm. To start off with, though, please visit our Patreon page. Join one of our three tiers. You'll get excellent, cool perks. Go to our website, www.badintheboondocks.com. There you can... Catch us on every platform that you can listen to us at. You can get in touch with us. You can rate us. You can review us all from our website. You can see the pictures of the people we're talking about. So please visit our website, badintheboondocks.com. Send us a message. Tell us what we can do to improve this. Don't just text us, you suck, because we got <laughs> we got a you we suck got already. a already been there and got that. It was, comment was, you suck. Yeah, well, we need more, uh, more than advice, yes. sort of, and what do you think that we could do better, or what you would like. Right. Um, Greatly appreciate Also, it. you can see us at facebook.com, Bad in the Boondocks, and again, Patreon, Bad in the Boondocks. You can, you can also follow us on Twitter, too, if you'd like. Yeah, I just want to have some more listener feedback. I want some interaction going on. I want to, like it's not that I'm just talking to open airwaves. Yeah, we want some more friends. I want a friend. We need a friend. We live in the boondocks. We have no friends. We are talking, almost touching noses. Yeah. (laughs) And nobody gets in touch with us at all. It only takes a second or two to do it. I mean, say... You rock instead of you suck. Mm-hmm. Or just mm-hmm. say, hey, I mean, I want us to do some cool things with y'all. That sounded, <laughs> that sounded okay. so that I mean, sounded vulgar. But well, I mean, who knows if you're into it. I guess. We you do we. got a friend. All okay. Right. Okay, you ready? <laughs> Death of James Taylor today. 
Sure. All right. Taking a sip. All right, you ready? I was born ready. Well, it's your turn to go first. I don't think it is, is it? Yeah, I went first last time. That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, as I said, I'm going to do Leonard Lake and Charles Ng. A very unlikely duo, I feel. But they... Got along very well and were very. Well, one's a fat, weird white man, and then the, he's not fat. He's, he's a bald. little overweight. And then your other one's a crazy Asian. From an early age, Charles Ng was a loner. Born in Hong Kong in 1960, Ng was beaten as a child and developed a serious case of kleptomania as a teenager. What is that, one may ask? Are you asking? (laughs) Yeah, I am. (laughs) It means he stole stuff. He loved to steal. Cool, cool. Which isolated him from any potential friends. We're not kleptomaniacs. We want friends. Yeah. Ng was also a lifelong troublemaker. However, no one could possibly guess that the social outcast with sticky fingers would eventually spiral into sadistic serial killing alongside his friend, Leonard Lake. That's how he What is that supposed it was to like, be? Leonard. This is Leonard Lake. <laughs> you want to You are my friend, Leonard Lake. <laughs> By the age of 15, Ng had been expelled from several schools and arrested for shoplifting. His strict father had had enough and sent him off to boarding school in England. Matters did not improve overseas. Ng resumed stealing from fellow students and was once again expelled and returned to Hong Kong. At 18, Charles Ng struck out (laughs) on his own. He obtained a student visa to attend college in California, although he dropped out just after one semester. Around this time, Ng met Leonard Lake, who was 15 years older than him. Through a war gamer advertisement Lake had placed in a magazine. Oh, wow. (laughs) Although we can only speculate what went down at this meeting, what we do know is that the two men had more than just gaming interests in common. Oh, wow. Both had an affinity for violence that would prove deadly. Ng's trouble with the law continued, and he was implicated in a hit-and-run accident. To avoid being charged for the crime, Ng listed in the Marine Corps. A short-lived stint. (laughs) And he was kind of short, too. I know. He was arrested in 1980 for stealing military weapons, then escaped imprisonment. Ng began the solitary and unstable life of a drifter and reached out to Lake for a place to stay. When the law finally caught up to Ng, he was living in a mobile home in California with Lake where the two had stashed illegal explosives. Ng was dishonorably discharged from the military and served 18 months for his theft and desertion. Upon his release, Ng and Lake were reunited. Lake had just the place for them to stay, his small rented cabin in the remote hills of Sierra Nevada, where he had built a torture chamber. While Ng certainly wasn't what you'd call a good person, Leonard Lake was doubly depraved. As a young boy, he killed mice with chemicals, 
coerced his sisters into making homemade porn, and was frequently caught stealing. Similar to Ng, he was an ex-Marine. That tends to be a lot of killers, either Army or Marine. Well, I mean, I guess that they're like looking for something whenever they enlist, but don't get the fulfillment. Hmm. <laughs> what are they looking for? Pokemon or something? No, there's, you know, there's. Or a lot of times they don't fit in anywhere, so they enlist there because it's like they're getting kicked out of their home. And then they don't ever last because they're issues that they have, quote unquote. Yeah. Usually tend to get them kicked out. They don't really fit in there either. Similar to Ng, he was an ex-Marine, though he received a medical discharge due to his spiral into mental illness. After suffering a delusional breakdown while serving in Vietnam, Lake was officially diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder. Emotionally apathetic and unable to empathize or form social attachments, Lake was married twice. His first marriage crumbled due to his obsession with filming hardcore BDSM pornography. See, I don't understand how these people can get married and, you and can't have a get relationship. Nobody. I can get somebody if I like... It's just a lot of time and, oh. and work built into it, so... You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Shut up. With his second wife agreeing to appear in many of his films, and she was quite the character, nicknamed Cricket. All right. However, it seemed like Charles Ng might be the exception to Lake's antisocial tendencies. In 1984, Ng joined Lake at his cabin where a tiny neighboring structure had already been outfitted as a dungeon for slaves. It was here that the two friends tortured, raped, and murdered at least 25 people. From neighbors to co-workers to young children, both male and female. They kept a record of everything they did, videotaping their torture sessions and describing them in journals that investigators later recovered from a buried bucket. And I'm just going to tell you, if you dig, it is available to see the lost tapes of some of these tortures and killings. Yeah, it's like the real thing, so... Authorities suspect that Lake had also killed his own brother sometime before the vicious killing spree that took over two dozen lives. Their downfall, though, came on June 2, 1985, when Ng was caught shoplifting from a hardware store. Stupid Ng. It was Lake who returned to the store and gave back the nicked item, but he was quickly found himself the target of police suspicion when his only form of identification was a driver's license that actually belonged to a missing person. Oh, no. This wasn't unusual for Lake, who had a habit of selling his victims' personal belongings and stealing their identities in order to collect checks in their name and turn a profit off his brutal murders. Authorities examined Lake's car. He was arrested for carrying a gun with a silencer. And his vehicle, which was stolen from one of the dead victims, ultimately led police to the scene of his worst crimes. A nightmare awaited 
fragmented human remains were scattered across the property. That's and this that's why they were nicknamed or dubbed the Boneyard Killers. Yeah. Knowing that the jig was up, Leonard Lake chose to take his own life by swallowing cyanide pill that he had smuggled into jail with him. Ng was left to fend for himself, and he fled the country. Years later, Ng's cover was blown in Canada when he attempted to shoplift a can of salmon. (laughs) Are you serious? Serious. Ng is really causing a lot of trouble. That kleptomania. Well, the other one's already dead. Well, yeah, but like, I just... A long legal process ensued as Ng fought extradition to the U.S., pleading with Canadian officials not to release him to a country where he could face the death penalty. However, his efforts to evade justice proved futile. Ng was extradited back to the United States in 1991, where he refused legal counsel and represented himself in the murder trial. Never a good idea. Unless you're like a top-notch lawyer yourself, don't do that. In 1999, Ng was sentenced to death for 11 of the 12 dungeon slings. An unsurprising verdict considering the amount of evidence stacked against him. Of course, there was the graphic video footage and diaries. It belied Ng's argument that Lake was the real perpetrator of the crimes, while he was merely a little observer. Not really, no. At the time of his trial, Ng refused to take responsibility for what transpired and decorated his jail cell with cartoons he had drawn of his (laughs) victims. Well, now, Lake normally did, like, the physical work, as in, like, Ng beating Ray, okay, be, like but, beating or knocking out the victims. Well, Ng also started subduing and stuff victims. Huh. Like I saw you, it in the tape. Yeah, but, like, if you watch the tapes, it's normally... Yeah, I mean, definitely Leonard Lake was the... He normally He gets was the, the boss. He, he was norm- the boss. Yeah, he normally gets the guys. Yeah. All right, you can you can go on. He still sits on death row. True crime author Don Lesseter covers the case in his book Die for Me, which rehashes all the chilling details of what became one of California's most heinous crimes. The following excerpt introduces readers to one of the victims, 18-year-old Kathy Allen. She was murdered just 2 months before the authorities found Ng and Lake Spring. On April 12, 1985, her boyfriend Mike disappeared without a trace, leaving Kathy worried about the state of their relationship and eventually his life. When an anonymous caller informed her that Mike had been shot, she immediately rushed to rescue him per the caller's suggestion, only to find herself trapped in Charles Ng and Leonard Lake's Dungeon of Horrors. And this is an excerpt. That same Sunday evening, James Bayo, who described himself as a quote-unquote very good friend of Kathy Allen, answered his phone and could barely make out her worried voice. Kathy told Bayo about the troublesome call at the store, but whispered that she couldn't talk much at that moment because there was someone in the room with her at the Best Inn in Milpitas. She sounded like she was in a hurry, and she said she couldn't talk to me, Bayo explains. 
Probing his memory about the mysterious conversation, Bayo could still hear Kathy's words about a man who had arrived to pick her up and take her to Mike, but the guy was kind of weird, and he talked about wanting to take pictures of her. Hmm. James Bayo asked Kathy to call when she arrived at her destination, and Kathy promised that she would. A few hours later, though, Kathleen Allen found herself in terrifying circumstances, unable to telephone anyone in the outside world. A video camera recorded segments of her nightmarish predicament. As the tiny red light on the camcorder blinked, Kathy sat in a well-worn brown fabric recliner chair. Her legs were crossed. She wore a white jersey with red short sleeves, dark pants and black boots. Handcuffs bound her wrists together behind her back. She sat perfectly still with a numb expression on her face. She was saying nothing. Perhaps she was in a state of shock, or perhaps she was unable to comprehend the extent of danger. At her right, a table lamp bathed the room in a soft amber glow, illuminating the wall behind her, which was covered with a photographic mural depicting the flaming colors of a forest in autumn. From behind the camera, the voice of Leonard Lake filled the room. He says, Mike owes us. A hint of threat was in his words. He can't pay. Now we're going to give you a choice, Kathy. This is probably the last choice that we're going to give you. You can go along with us. You can cooperate. You can do everything we tell you to do willingly. And in approximately 30 days, if you want a date to write on your calendar, the 15th of May, we will either drug you, blindfold you, or in some way or another, make sure you don't know where you are and where you're going and take you back to the city and let you go. And what you say at that time, I don't care. My name, you don't know it. His name is Charlie, but screw it. <laughs> Lake made reference to another man who emerged from the shadows in the dimly lit room, a short, black-haired Asian dressed in dark colors. Lake wore a tan-knit sweater, he entered the camera range, knelt to adjust the bonds on her ankles, and moved back. Alternately, threatening in firm tones, then softly cajoling, switching from bad to good guy, and then back again, Lake said, You don't know where you are, and what you say hopefully can't hurt us, and by then, hopefully, Mike will have disappeared gracefully. Obviously, I'm telling you this because we'll have no control over what you say or how you say it. Once you're gone, if you don't cooperate with us, if you don't agree this evening, right now to cooperate, we'll probably put a round through your head and take you out and bury you in the same area that we buried Mike. Kathy's facial expression remained frozen, even though she had just heard devastating news about her lover. He continues, we do this just because we're, we admit it, scared and nervous. We, we never planned on fucking up, much less getting caught, and we're not intending to get caught. It's the old no witnesses. It's a, it's a little crude, but that's where it's at. While you're here, you'll give us information on Mike in terms of his brother, bank accounts, who we need to write to making things correct. We'll probably have you write some letters to the guy, his foster brother, and tell him some bullshit story about how you and Mike have uh, moved off to Timbuktu. 
and he's got a job doing this and that and doing something else, and basically we want to phase Mike off, just sort of move him over the horizon and uh, let people know that, yeah, Mike moved off to God knows where. That's semi-acceptable. If anyone wonders, no one's going to wonder too hard. While you're here, we'll keep you busy. Because let me tell you, you'll wash for us, you'll clean for us, cook for us, and oh yeah, you'll fuck for us. That's your choice in a nutshell, darling. It's not much of a choice, unless you got a death wish. Still sitting perfectly still, Kathy tried to speak, but her vocal cords constricted and her words failed. She could only manage, No, I, I don't particularly do. The Asian man whom Lake had called Charlie muttered something unintelligible, but Lake smothered him out with another effort to put his captive at ease. Actually, Kathy, I like you. I uh, didn't like lying to you. Whether you believe it or not, that's not important. The fairness of what you're going to do is uh, not up for debate. We're not worried about whether you're fair or we're fair or whether we're good. We're just worried about ourselves. Selfish bastards, maybe. You'll probably think of worse names for us in the next four weeks, but that's where it's at. In the last 24 hours, we've been tired, nervous, a little high-strung, perhaps. We expect you to do something about that. Believe me, we both need it. If you go along with us and cooperate, we'll be as nice as we can to you, within the limits of keeping you a prisoner. If you don't go along with us, well, we're going to take you into the bed, tie you down, rape you good, shoot you, and bury you. Sorry, lady, time's up. Make your choice. Jesus Christ. Motionless, <laughs> Kathy forced words through her dry mouth. Well, I have to be available. Spell it out for us on tape, Lake demanded. I want to hear it from your own lips. I can't spell it out, she whispered. She don't know how to spell. I'll <laughs> go along with whatever you want. That's all we wanted to hear. Said Lake, Mike was such an ass. Kathy attempted to reply to the insult, but her voice failed. I understand, Lake said in mock sympathy. Either he lied to you or you lied to us. You can believe this or you don't have to believe it. It has nothing to do with anything. Mike was getting ready to drop you. He said you was clinging on to him. You were asking things of him that he didn't want. Apparently, directing his attention to his Asian cohort, Lake asked, Today? Was it today? Yesterday? Returning to his taunting of the helpless woman, Lake continued, Mike had some woman in the motel giving him a blowjob. Again, this is what he said. Whether or not it's true or not, I don't know. He could have been lying to us. Struggling again to speak, Kathy could only gasp. <gasps> His voice betraying enjoyment of the verbal torture, Lake said, Okay, then maybe he just liked talking big. He thought he was impressing us. He wasn't. He was disgusting us. 
Do you got the keys to her curfs, Charlie? Uh-huh. <laughs> Affirm, Charlie. <laughs> Stand up, Kathy. If we're a little clumsy at this, forgive us. Lord, forgive us. Stay on your feet. Undress for us. We want to see what we got. Undress for you? Fear and disbelief sounded in her throat. Take your blouse off, Kathy. Take your bra off. They're not all that bad. Take your chains off. Kathy then began to disrobe. Charlie then muttered, Now, what do you think? Addressing Lake, he asked, You think take our pants off? Sure thing, Charlie. We'll run her through the shower. Oh, I go too, Charlie said. Oh, you want to take a shower with her, Lake seemed amused. If you want to, sit down, Kathy. The Asian then said, This is a surprisingly cooperative. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wisely cooperative, Charlie. And then to Kathy, he said, We're prepared to do practically anything to get you to agree with us. I'm glad you uh, made all of that unnecessary. But a few ground rules, Kathy. We're real serious about this. You do what you're told now. Cooperate with us. There won't be any problems. If you create problems whatsoever, you could very well die. Keep undressing, please, Kathy. Alert to the threat of death, Charlie said, The piece is on the table, apparently reminding Lake of a handgun lying nearby. Lake said, I see it, Charlie. I see it. Charlie seeming to be concentrating on the possibility of joining the captive in the shower, slurred his next few words. You didn't get the shower. She the time limits. Ignoring him, Lake focused on Kathy as she rose to continue removing her clothing. Keep going, Kathy, he commanded. Barely able to speak, Kathy said, You'll have to excuse me for being shy. Sorry. Oh, no. I can understand, soothed Lake. But don't be shy. You're going to take a good shower. Now joining in the activity more audibly, Charlie commented, This won't be the first time. It won't be the last time. Patronizingly, Lake chided his partner, Don't make it hard for Charlie. Watching Kathy as she stood only in her underpants, he urged her on. Panties too, Kathy. I don't want to have to make an example of what we need to do to make you cooperate now, do I? Completely vulnerable, standing naked after removing her last garment, Kathy said, I, I realize that. Then, then please cooperate. Go ahead, Charlie. As all three left the cameras viewed, Leonard Lake spoke one last time. When you get out, there'll be slippers outside of the... And the camera stops at this point. But the torture had not ended. The video camera 
would record two more devastating episodes in the final few days of Kathleen Allen's 18 years of life. That is kind of harrowing. Oh, and, wow. And you can see that online if you look it up, and it is Good very God, disturbing. It, it's so much more disturbing than just hearing it, though. But the sad part to me, this story is, Charlie Charles Ng, yeah. he's never going to be executed. I mean, no, he's he not. still sits on death row because yeah. California has not executed anyone since 2006. They now have, I, I know, think, and 700 and something people on death row. Yeah, and the first one that was... And they're continuing being put on death row, and it costs over a million a year just to house a person on oh, death yeah. row. Oh, yeah, so Charlie's like, to say that Charlie's a 700, you've got to go through 700 people. Right. And they haven't done any since Exactly, they're never going to get to him. No. There's no way. And that, to me, is what is more disturbing than anything, is that we're paying all this money, and they didn't care anything about their victims. Yet we're supposed to be civil to them, and maybe I'm wrong for thinking that, but I don't care. We need to throw them all on an, an island together. Just just make them jump out. No, I tell you what, make them jump out the plane without a parachute. That's a good idea. In the middle of nowhere. But... I want to hear what y'all's thoughts on it is. How do you feel about the death penalty with cases like this? Get in touch with us. Send us a message on badintheboondocks.com and let me know. I feel like they need to be the same torture that they inflicted on other people. So you think eye for an eye? Duh. I've always thought that. Always. I don't. I don't care who it is. If you do something to right. somebody else, I, I mean, I, I'm definitely not into this whole. Oh, let's soothe them before we stick a needle and let them die so humanely. Exactly. And they care nothing about they don't their feel victims. A thing. They don't feel a thing whenever they die. And like with these people, you know that they are guilty. You know they did it. It's on video. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. See, because now, I don't know. Some people. I understand because some of them are innocent. Mm -hmm. But not whenever you have the videos But no, now whenever you know 100% sure that they did it. Yep. There's no way out of it. Okay. That's the story of Charles Ng and Leonard Lake. Like I said, get in touch with us. Shoot us a message and let us know. Of yes. how you feel about cases like this. Oh, yeah. And now, Drew, is, you got something for us? Yeah, I do. All right. I think you got a little corona. Isn't it? Don't worry. Juan Corona? Yeah, I sure do. And now, was he named after the drink? No, he was not. Are you sure? Yes. All right, so um, Juan Corona was born in 1934 in Alton in the state of Jalisco, Mexico. He entered the United States in 1950 when he was only 16, crossing the border into California. When he crossed over, Corona picked carrots and melons in the Imperial Valley. That's odd. You never that really hear odd. people picking carrots. Carrots and melons. <laughs> that makes no sense. All right. He did this for three months until he moved to the north of the Sacramento Valley. 
Corona's half-brother, Navidad Corona, had moved to Marysville, California in 1944 to work and settle down. In May of 1953, Navidad convinced Corona to move to Marysville and he found work on a local ranch. Corona then met and married Gabriela Hermoslo on October 24, 1953 in Reno, Nevada. Once that ended, in 1959, he found another another woman who he married named Gloria Morano, and they have four daughters together. All daughters. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> in, in um, December of 1955, though, a flood occurred on the Feather River, which was next to Marysville, and broke the levee, which allowed the rushing water to flood 150 square miles, Killing 38 people. Wow. Yeah. Um, but strangely, after this event, Corona was greatly affected by the death and destruction, which caused him to have a mental breakdown. He believed that... Now, did it kill any of his family? Um, no. Oh. No, it did not. Uh-huh. But he believed that everyone was gone from the flood and there was no one left but ghosts. <laughs> so he was seeing ghosts everywhere. Wow. Okay. So was he a ghost? No, he was just seeing them. So he was suffering from an episode of schizophrenia um, on January 17th, 1956, and then Navidad sent him to the Dewitt State Hospital. The Dewitt? Yeah, in Auburn, California, where they diagnosed him with um, a schizophrenic reaction paranoid type. When was this in the... 50s, 40s, 50s? This was in 56. Yeah, they didn't have very good diagnosis back then. No. Well, after his diagnosis, he was given 23 shock treatments and then was announced, recovered, and released three months later. If nothing else, I mean, he should have been somewhat brain, I mean, reset after 20-something shock treatment. Oh, yeah. You know, Frosty was even still You know how bad that would hurt? Back in the 50s, that was not a very pleasant. No, it was not. It's not like today's. Well, after this incident, Corona was sent back to Mexico, but returned not long after with the green card. Once he returned, he had stopped drinking, not had many schizophrenic episodes, and was said to be a very hard worker. In 1962, he became a licensed labor contractor and was said to be well, he was in charge of hiring workers to fill the local fruit ranches. But during That's this so time... so weird, fruit ranches. Yeah. <laughs> and picking carrots. Yeah. <laughs> well, during this time, people reported him of being rude and having anger issues with gay, peop- with gay men. Well, Navi... Dodd, his half... Wait, wait, Navi Dodd, his half-brother, was gay. Oh, his wife's? Huh? His wife? His half-brother? No. I thought Navidad was his wife. Navidad is his half-brother. Oh! Yeah, Navidad oh. is his half-brother. Sorry if you hear that, that's Tucker. The yeah, of course. Because don't. don't nobody ever learn how to babysit. Hey, boy. God. Can you tell everybody hey? Can you tell them hey? Tell them hey. You don't want to tell them? Well, Navidad owned the Guadalajara Cafe in Marysville, 
And on the morning of February 25, 1970, a young man named Jose Rio was found brutally attacked with a machete in the restroom of the cafe. He was found at 1 a.m. by a customer with his head and face gruesomely hacked. When Navi, yeah, when Navidad was informed, he called the police right away. But Jose was still alive, and I don't he see was. How. I don't neither. But he filed for a lawsuit against <laughs> Navidad for two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and this caused Navidad to sell his business and return back to Mexico. On March 1970, Corona was admitted to Dewitt State Hospital again for treatment, and a year later... Hadn't he been through enough? I know. Well, he applied for welfare because there was hardly any ranch work or farm work available. I'm surprised he could even work after all the shock treatments and, and the, um, you know, the rather bashing. Yeah. His application was denied because he owned two two houses and had money in the bank. How do you have two houses? I don't know. I, I have mean, no granted idea. Granted, they could be pieces of shit. They probably were. Well, that same year, a farmer who had hired Corona to work for him in the past noticed a freshly dug hole in a peach orchard, and the next day he went back to look at it, and it was filled with dirt. So the farmer called the police after becoming suspicious, and they found a man's body that had been hacked. They searched the area, and in another grave, they found receipts that had gone, that Corona signature had on it, and the Bank of America slips with the Corona's name and address on it. So they had a pile of evidence against him. And then they also found seven, um, seven other bodies along with the uh, same hole. No, they were uh, they were spread out. But, through the orchard. Yeah, on May 26th. I bet you they had a really good harvest of peaches that day with the fertilizer. Yeah. From the body. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just got that. I wasn't really listening to you, honestly. I can tell you really slowed the... Yeah, I know. Well, witnesses told police that they had seen victims riding in Corona's pickup truck. And on May 26, 1971, police went to Corona's place with a search warrant to search for him. There they arrested Corona and now, confessed. Now, hold on. When you say Corona, com- are you talking about Juan? Yes. Okay. Whatever happened to what's his name? Navidad? Yeah. As far as I know, he moved back to Mexico because uh, he didn't want to pay the money to the man. So, uh, yeah. They arrested Corona and confiscated all the evidence that linked him to the murders, like two blood-stained knives, a machete, a pistol, and clothes that had blood stains on it. There was also a work ledger that contained 34 names and dates on it. I feel, now that I'm sorry for interrupting with this, but I feel if you're going to kill somebody, the best way to do it, what to wear, is naked and put saran wrap all over your body. Do you know how difficult that is? I've put saran wrap on before. Yeah, it's I know you, you probably have, but not for the same reasons. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying it's not that difficult. But then that would keep all of your hair and stuff from getting on the stuff, but you also wouldn't have bloody clothes. 
It's a pretty good. Yeah, idea. but then you would just look stupid killing. You're them. killing. Who cares? <laughs> they they would be laughing you look, at you. You're gonna look stupid whenever you go to jail. Too. They would be laughing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, there was a work ledger, and that contained 34 names and dates on it, including the seven known victims, which the prosecution suspected of being a death list of the time of the times the men were murdered. Turns out, Corona had been supplying workers to the ranch where the victims were found. He housed some of the workers in a bunkhouse on the Sullivan Ranch, where most of the victims were discovered. Corona was given a public defender, Roy Hoover, who had many psychological tests done on him. The sheriff stated that he was in no apparent threat from the townspeople, but he still sent him to a bigger jail on May 30, 1971, for security reasons. On June 2nd, Corona was returned to Southern County for arraignment, where he pleaded not guilty and a preliminary hearing was set. When the search for the bodies ended on June 4th, there was a total of 25 male bodies found, but could have been more um, victims buried other places. Corona was then convicted of 25 counts of first-degree murder in 1973, but an appeals court overturned the conviction in 1978 because... Yeah because of incompetent legal representation and set him a new trial in 1982. The year I was born. Yeah. At this time, he again was found guilty of all the murders and given a life sentence in the Caracan State Prison. You say Caracan. <laughs> After this, he had to be hospitalized twice from, from suffering from heart attacks. He spent this time at the Sensitive Needs Yard because of oh. suffering from dementia. The sensitive needs yard. Yeah. I've never heard of that. Well, he now died not too long ago from natural causes on March 4th, 2019. Wow. That was really recent. Yeah, I know it was. He died really soon. So that's all I've got. Well, that was good. Thank you. You're welcome. Yours was better. I really loved the dialogue. Did you? You went from different people? Yeah, I tried. I tried. <laughs> I tried. Okay, that was... Well, that's all we've got, I think. I mean, we always have more. But we gotta save it. Yeah, we gotta save it for next week, so stay tuned. For we next stay week. tuned all week long. No, but... <laughs> but if you be want aware to, you of can, next can, week's episode. You can episode. listen over and over to an episode if you want. That would actually really help us out. It would <laughs> it, be great. It really would. What or would be greater? If you if you want the, to skip parts, don't exit off of the actual episode. Go ahead and go to the end. Yeah. But listen to this. <laughs> listen. What would help us out even more is to get in touch with us and give us a friend. Or listen to the all the episodes. Yeah, that'd that be great too. too. I mean. Yeah, and a rating or a review. But if you really don't like Except the episode... Except for if you're just going to say you you suck. I think that's very that's, unintelligible. That's very mean, especially if you don't have anything to back it up. And it's kind we, of bullying. Because we asked, like, please put your input in on how can we make it better. And, well... Nobody has. They didn't respond, so... Nobody has. So, so man, that's all we've got. From back down in these boondocks of South Carolina... <laughs> 
we love y'all and we thank you for yep. listening to us. That's all we've got for you. I See have you next been time. Stan. And I've been Drew. And I have been Charlie. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you. See you next week.